Every father's greatest fear is losing a child, and unfortunately, that becomes a reality for some. Welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I am not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I'm going to let you in on a conversation that I had with A.J. Holloway. He's an evangelist, but he is also a father who lost his firstborn at the age of two years old in the tragic house fire. He's going to tell his story, not just about what happened, but how he every day continues to navigate the road ahead with God's help. And uh, woke up and got out of the shower and our house was on fire. And when my wife and I started, you know, hollering for Levi, we think we may have scared him because he thought we were angry because we were so frantically and he hid from us. So we could not find him and By that point, it took seven minutes for our house to completely be gone. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, AJ, thank you so much for being with me. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Glad to be on here. Good. Well, I'm grateful to have you on here, like I said, and you're a busy guy. I uh, I feel like I reeled you in for a while, um, <laughs> but you 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 travel a lot. You are, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd say you're a pretty high demand evangelist. It reminds me, do you know uh, Josh Youngblood by chance? I do. Okay. He's my buddy. I had him on here a couple years ago, I think. And when we were talking about fatherhood, he couldn't help but throw in all the times that he was preaching at whatever events. And so I gave him a hard time by letting everyone know that he clearly was a good preacher. Uh, <laughs> but you, I think, might be a little more popular than Josh was. You were traveling all the time. Tell us a little bit about what you do uh, and tell us a little bit about your family, too. How long you've been married, how many kids you have. Yeah. So my family, we've been, uh, my wife and I have been married 12 years this past July. Uh, we have four kids, uh, three still with us, and uh, travel full time. I travel the United States. I'm a minister, man. I love I love talking about the Bible. And I yep. enjoy traveling, so it works out. It's got its pros and cons. Being away from my family is not the best part. Sure, but, you know you learn how to do it. This is our hard, and yep. you pick your hard. Everything's hard. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Since you travel so much, I know a lot of people do this. Some people do it because they're doing the same thing that you're doing. Some people have to do it for business. Some people do it because they're in the military. Uh, do you have any good advice on how to stay connected to your wife and to your kids when you're traveling so much and you're away so much? Yeah. Um, I mean, we I heard, uh, I'm trying to remember who told me this, so I hate not quoting someone, That's right. but they told me that... Um, you really need to highlight with your with your kids. You need to highlight the um, the benefits and the pitfalls of what you're called to do. So, with my kids, what we do is we tell them like, "I know Daddy's gone a lot. I know that it doesn't seem like I'm here because they'll you know they'll talk about it. But when we're doing something because of the ministry that's enjoyable, like when they travel with me, I'll take them to a mall, I'll take them to the zoo, take them to something fun, and I'll just let them know, hey. This is a benefit of what daddy does. My daughter loves gifts baskets, man. Every time we go to a hotel, yeah. you know, they'll get us a gift basket. And I'll tell her, like, look, the church and the pastor is so kind. They gave us this gift basket. We wouldn't have gotten this yeah. if daddy didn't do this. And 
outside of that is when I'm home, I am home. I shut yeah. down everything. I, I don't answer uh, text messages. I'm not constantly, you know, trying. Sometimes I fail at this, but I'm trying to not have a phone in front of me. I don't have social media. I don't have anything like that. So there's nothing pining for my attention. So being present, you know, when I'm home is really big. Now, when I'm away, um, my wife and I will, will zoom call. We'll do things like that. You know, it's like I said, it's, everything's hard. Sure. It's, this is no different uh, than someone. I have a brother-in-law who is in the military and he's gone for like two, three months at a time. Yeah. So when he's home, he's home. Yeah. So it's, you know, if not the, our kids will highlight how hard this is. And it's my job as a, as a father and a leader to let them know, like, yeah, this is, it's not fun that dad's gone, but you know, there's other families and here's the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good advice, highlighting the benefits. And then like you yeah. said, when you're home being home, because right. I'm a firm believer that uh, quality time is greater than the quantity of time that we have with the kids. I think it's great if we can have as much time as, as we have to give with our kids. But yeah. if we're just present and we're not engaged, I don't know that that's actually a huge benefit. Uh, I know it helps a little bit, but if we can be present, if we can be involved in what they're doing and involve them in the things that we're doing, right. I think that goes a long way. So great, great tip. I, I, I like the highlighting the benefit. Um, I'm going to quote you on that. I know you couldn't figure out who, who gave you yeah. that content, but I'll, I'll quote oh, you man. from now on on that. Um, but like you said, uh, when you were talking a little bit about your family, uh, four kids, three are still with you. So yeah. you are, I'm going to say one of the rare people who have endured, I think the tragedy that every parent kind of fears and that's losing a child. Um, so I know there's not a lot of people and I'll say, thankfully, there's not a lot of people who can directly relate to this, but from what I've seen, just doing a little bit of research, it clearly happens. Uh, yeah. I'm glad it doesn't happen as much as it used to years ago, but it still happens. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot that you can provide that will help that'll help fathers today who are in the same situation that you're in mothers as well. Uh, but I also think you're going to be able to help us even with just grief in general. Uh, I, th I think from what I've heard talking to other people, you came highly recommended to talk about this because of how you've handled this situation as well as you have. And so that's what we're going to dive into, but let's, let's just start here just for the sake of everyone listening and watching. Um, just take us through the events of what happened. Just briefly recap what happened with your child. Yeah. Uh, this was, we're coming up on six years now. Um, this was October, I believe it was 25th, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, woke up and got out of the shower and our house was on fire. And when my wife and I started, you know, hollering for Levi, we think we may have scared him because he thought we were angry because we were so frantically and he hid from us. So we could not find him. And by that point it took seven minutes for our house to completely be gone. Wow. And in that time I have 17 scars on my body, you know, today from trying to get back into the house, I threw myself through four windows. 
and wow. I wasn't thinking coherently enough to raise the window and we had window pane. So I was throwing myself through the window and I couldn't break past the aluminum panes. So just your brain, I've later found out your brain shrinks down to a 12 year old, uh, unless you're trained right. in this type of scenario. So actually that gave me a lot of peace cause I felt like a failure. Sure. Um, and I had a, uh, close, close, uh, confidant in our church. who was a fireman. And he told me, he said, you know, there's no way you could have beat this. He said, you weren't trained for it. And so that, that actually gives me more peace. Just, I was dealing with, as a man, I was dealing with, you know, I'm an absolute failure. Cause we all have, we all have thoughts of grandeur. You know, we watch the movies yeah. and we're like, well, this is what I would do. And this is what, I, how I would handle it. It's right. Yeah. It's literally, first of all, what happens on, uh, a movie in a fire, not even close to reality. I mean, yeah. the, uh, the stuff in the house that is consumable and it burns total blackness. You can't see an inch in front of your face. So we just, I mean, we lost, we lost. And, yeah. uh, we found out later that afternoon, you know, that Levi didn't make it. Now we had, uh, we had two children at the time. We had my, my, uh, daughter, she was in her crib, so we were able to run, grab her instinctively, and then Levi, he was uh, almost three. He would have turned three in December, so he was he was a wily little fella, and so he was he hid from us. So that's what happened, and that began the dark days for us. Um, yeah, for quite a while. Yeah, can I ask you, um, the three kids you still have are they all girls? No. So okay. we would have, uh, three boys and one girl. Okay. Three boys. And so one we've girl. had okay. two boys uh, since. Okay. We have Ezra and Gideon. Okay. Gideon is a wily fella too, man. We, <laughs> <laughs> we produce, we produce the wild boys. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I asked that because I know, I mean, I love all my kids immensely, but I know that fathers have this unique bond with their sons. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's, that's why I asked, but um, I'm, I'm glad that you still have the mixture of, of sons and daughters in your family. Yeah. So I, I know you already kind of alluded to this, but how did you, how long did you struggle with the thoughts of, I could have done more. This was my fault. Cause I know you said, you know, maybe we scared Levi because of our tone. How long did you actually wrestle with that? Oh man. Um, I, I guess I'll give you the process for me. I know, sure. I know anyone listening who has lost a child, their process is going to be very different. There's no two exactly the same. I would say grieving is like a fingerprint. Hmm. Everyone's is unique. That's why I never say, I know what you're going through because I don't, you know, even if, even though we have lost a child, it's, it's never the same. So I'll preface that with, I don't okay. know exactly what you're going through because grieving is so unique to each individual, but I am a deeply spiritual individual. And, um, before Levi passed, I had a dream and in the dream, I had a very close friend of mine tell me, he said, you're three men away from getting everything that you've asked God for. And, um, it was from that moment in October. Uh, we was working at a church and our pastor, uh, Pastor Daryl Weber gave us a, uh, a reprieve. He told us, he's like, look, don't, don't come back to work. We want you to just stay home with your family. 
go visit family. And that's what we did until January. So January rolled around. I was working back in the office and that was a landmark moment for us is going back to the, the normal when nothing was normal was very yeah. hard. I remember sitting in the office the first day and I was just like, what am I even doing? You know, <laughs> but that day I was driving home and I I'd just so happened to come across a stupid news article because our story went pretty viral. We had fake Facebook pages being made trying to get, wow. you know, money because our pastor's wife put together a uh, GoFundMe. And I mean, it was it was we were very blessed through that. But people were making face fake pages. So I went to a news article that was about us. I think it was on Fox at the time. And I went to the comment section and I saw what people were saying about me as a father. I saw people saying, well, if I were there, I would have done this. I don't know what kind of dad would have allowed this to happen if if I were there and if I had done this and if this was me and I'm reading this and man, I hit rock bottom because everything that I was thinking is now confirmed through people who didn't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so driving home that afternoon, I was devastated. I was just I was halfway between the church and where we were staying at the time it was about a 30 minute drive. And I remember pulling over and I was sobbing and I just said, God, why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you let me die? If I would have died in the house, then I would have at least died a hero. Nobody would be saying these things because they would know, Hey, he gave his life trying to save his son, that whole thing. And God spoke to me and he said, I did kill you. And he asked me three questions. He said, do you care about um, preaching conferences? And I said, God, there's a good chance I'll never preach ever again let alone conferences, who cares? You know, in the grand scheme of things, that's like nothing compared to the eternity now that we're staring in the face. Then he asked me, he said, do you care about Mustangs? I used to build and race cars. And I said, God, I said, I lost my car in less than seven minutes. <laughs> you know, what is stuff? Yeah. And he said, do you care about what people think of you? And I said, well, God, I said, I see what people think of me and they don't even know the whole story. And I said, who cares? I mean, you know, and he spoke to me, he said, well, these are the, these are the things that I want my ministry to die to. And he said, and you no longer, you no longer deal with them. You understand the eternal perspective of things. And I said, God, did you take my son to teach me this lesson? He said, no. He said, sin is in the world and sin has brought about death. He said, this, this is part of life. I didn't cause it, but I'm not going to waste it either. And so through that process for me, it gave me purpose. That moment was very purpose filled. And I said, well, God, if you're not going to waste it, neither am I. I am not, you know, it's, it's bad enough to lose a child. It's even worse to waste the whole process. Mm. And so that gave me a little shot in the arm. But then it wasn't long after that. We had a, um, a family in California, Tom and Sarah Koppel. They were so profound. Uh, our pastor reached out to them for us and they called us and come to find out they had lost a child uh, in a swimming pool. Child fell into the swimming pool and drowns around the same same age as Levi. Wow. Well, sister couple went to uh, and went into counseling. And so they began to counsel us. And he he made a statement when he called me that I'll never forget I don't know if he says this to everybody or if he just felt to say this to me, but it was what I needed to hear. And he, he got on the phone and he said, AJ, listen, he said, I believe it was 92% of uh, families or marriages end in divorce at the loss of a child. 
He said, that's the church statistic. That's not the world statistic. He said, that's in the church. 92% of marriages end in divorce when they lose a child. And he just simply said, he said, what are you going to do? And I'll never forget. I'm a fighter by nature. I said, I have lost enough. I said, I'm not losing my family also. And he said, all right, then let's talk about what we're going to do next. And they started counseling us, you know, week by week, they would call us and we would spend about 30 minutes on the phone talking with them. We went through um, counseling locally. Uh, Gil Larson, she actually teaches at the same school I teach at. She's teaching counseling. <clears throat> she lost her husband and just the steps. So all of that being said, man, the purpose, God was just ordering our steps. He knew what we needed. The church rallied around us. Um, I had purpose now. I'm like, okay, well, I can become better through this if I don't waste it. Then I'm not going to lose a marriage. It was the purpose that was set in front of me helped me endure. And looking back, you know, reading scripture, Jesus was able to endure the cross for the joy that was set before him. He didn't want to go through that. You know, he prayed right. if it be possible. But what was out in front of him is the reality of if I do this, though, I can be in covenantal relationship with everybody who now takes up their cross and follows me. That yeah. was I was the joy set before him. So he is now the joy that is set before me. I can be better through all this. Now, on the other side is I can be depressed. I can have an addictive personality. If that's what I wanted, I could be in divorce. I could lose my family. I didn't want any of that. So I had to fight for something and that didn't make it easy, but I at least had something out in front of me that said, I'm not going to lose it all. And I had, I had purpose, purpose, hope, man, hope is the most powerful part of the gospel and hope was put out in front of me. And that's, that's what helped us. And then, you know, we can talk more about the steps in the middle of all that, because it didn't, it didn't take the pain away. Sure. You know, it didn't, it didn't bring Levi back. Right. But there was still something out in front of us. Yeah. I, I think it's remarkable that going through this, because, you know, all I can do is imagine what it's like. And I almost feel like in some cases that's wrong for me to do. Um, because, I mean, you even made the illustration earlier. It's like what you see in the movies and what they what they demonstrate with the house fire. It's it's nothing even close to the real thing unless you've experienced no. it. Um, but I do find it interesting that your view on this, your perspective on this, you're not blaming God. It sounds more like uh, for you, it's you know, end of Genesis, Joseph experience what was intended for evil. God took it and used it for good uh, and it sounds like that that's that's more of where you have fallen in this because again just just the thought of it is devastating hearing your story is devastating um but i think that that is a powerful thing that in the midst of all the pain um you extracted this purpose and this perspective and i do want to talk more about that in a little bit let me let me ask you this though. There's a lot of people I'm sure who came to you with um, sympathy and empathy yeah. in some cases. Can you help 
I'm going to say the majority of us who have not experienced this, who probably will never experience this, if we have someone close to us and they go through this experience of losing a child, how should we speak to them? Should we say anything at all? And if so, what should we say? If, gr if, if grieving is a fingerprint, like you say, and it's unique to everyone, I don't know that there's going to be a one-size-fits-all answer, but um, from your experience, what what was what was something that you were told or heard that you appreciated and that didn't, you know, spite you or make you bitter? Yeah, let me let me give a setup to answer okay. uh, that question. I think that our North American view of time works against us in this particular instance. We we view time very linear. Um, we want to fix it now. Mm -hmm. We treat time like it's money. You know, we, we say things like spending time, saving time, time is money. Time is not money. There, there is no race when you're around somebody, you don't have the limited moment. So I got to make the best of it now. So I got to say the right thing right now. Just get out of that and just prepare. I'm with you for the long haul. Stop thinking about time with the griever. Um, and when you do, when you get outside of time, you don't feel pressure to say the right thing in this moment and to fix it immediately. You relieve yourself of that pressure. And what you do instead is you sit with them in silence, hmm. which is an ancient, uh, when you, when you study out the book of Job, the actual custom, uh, to sit with a mourner was you didn't speak until the mourner spoke. Hmm. And you can see that Job's three friends sit with him in silence and they were nailing it. Things didn't go wrong until they opened their mouths. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's when things went horribly awry and they're trying to figure out for Job why all this has happened to him. Right. So that's the thing is there is no right thing to say. Okay. There just isn't. Uh, I'll never forget. I had a, on a practical side. Now I had a friend come to my house and I'll never forget. He understood though his father passed away. Him and his father were very close. Uh, you may know him, Paul records. Okay. Paul records is in, uh, he started a church in San Marcos, Texas, and he was based out of Lafayette. He came, I'll never forget. He came and knocked on the door. He had a pizza in his hand. He walked in, he handed it to me and he said, I have no words. I don't understand. He said, but I understand grieving. He said, so I'm just going to sit here. He's like, anything you want to talk about? If you want to talk about Levi, if you want to talk about the day, if you want to talk about nothing, if you want to talk about fishing, I'm just here. Yeah. And I'll never forget the impact that I felt. I was a little aggravated too, because I was feeling convicted <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to feel conviction right now, but that's my personality. Sure. I, you know, things convict me. But I remember I'm like, Paul, you're, you're making me be the church that you're showing me someday. And I'll never forget. He just sat there because I knew he took a vacation day. Yeah. And in my opinion, wasted it on me. Cause like who takes a vacation day and comes and just sits with someone grieving, but I'll never forget that it made such an impact on me. And I was like, you know what? Someday I'm going to do this and I'm going to turn, return this what's being given to me back to somebody. But I, I tell people, I'm like, there are no words. I don't understand what you're going through exactly. No one can. I understand the grief, but not your grief. 
And so whenever you're ready to talk, I'm ready to listen. And I'm, I let my ears say more than my mouth ever could mm-hmm. because sometimes your ears speak. And I think we forget that because we're so bottled up with time. We're so like fast paced and hustling that when we're around the griever, we got to make the most of it right now. No, it's if we really believe in the community as the church, and this is assuming you're in a church context, if you're not in a church context and you're just around somebody who is grieving, you know, relieve yourself of the pressure of I've got to fix this. You can't fix this. There's only one, one thing that can, and you can't, Yeah, you can be there with the mourner and you can just sit in silence until they're ready to talk. And when they're ready to talk, here's the next phase. You don't have the answer, (laughs) right? You know, right. One of my favorite things, and I am a, I am a, a Bible fanatic. I'm a Bible student. Um, I mean, I just, it's my life. I eat, sleep and breathe biblical studies. And I had a pretty firm foundation scripturally. And what I think irked me more because I'm, I'm thinking on biblical scholarship is when people would see our two boys later and they're like, oh man, you lost your son and God gave you two more back. That would irk me so bad. And I'm the type of person as I'll say it, I'm like, here's a teaching moment. So I would (laughs) tell people, I would say, they're not Levi. Right. They're not replacements for Levi. I didn't lose a fishing rod and go bought two more. That's this. These are, we're dealing with humans. And so they always quote to me, Job, like Job lost his children and God gave him double back. That's, they always quote to me, Job. So I start, I start uh, at that moment, I I would stop people and I would say, did Job do anything to deserve the loss? And they're like, well, well, no, he didn't do anything to deserve. I said, then what makes you think he deserved the gain? He did anything to earn the double back. I said, God is God. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm like, I didn't earn more sons through grieving. It's not my stripes on my sleeve now. Right. So I would, I would say to someone, don't assume that you know the story of Job. Don't look at people and think it's going to encourage them. Because like, you're going to get double back for what you lost. I mean, there's no incentive. Right. What Job got was he understood the glory of God better. Right. And that's, that's what me and my wife got. Now, I do want to kind of dovetail off of that. You, you said something. Um, I was not mad at God. And I want to be wholly balanced because someone listening to this might be mad at God. Sure. And it's also not a race. I got that revelation in January, but working through that revelation and actually living the revelation took much longer. My wife was mad at God. I was annoyed with people. People got on my last nerve during that season of time. Going to church was a great strain on me because it was inevitable. Somebody was going to say something ridiculous and your, your mind is so broken. I couldn't highlight all the good things people were saying because it was it was probably 70, 30 people saying the right things and 30 percent saying ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. And I'm a fighter. When people said the ridiculous things, boy, I was ready. I was ready to ready to correct it. And I'm not saying I was right in that at all. That's very arrogant of me. But my wife and I went two different ways around. I would say day 20. If I remember correctly, in the initial stages, we're both in shock and we were both in shock together. But then as the shock started wearing off, we went 
two different directions. I went into the direction of, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be around anyone. My wife wanted to be around people. She wanted to constantly surround herself with, with her close family and friends. I wanted to be alone with God. She was mad at God. Hmm. And so there was some friction there because what she needed, I didn't want. And what I needed, she didn't want. And again, we had wise counsel. They told us, they said, give each other allowance to grieve the way they need to grieve. Yeah. And so we learned that there is no cookie cut pattern for grief. Who's to say mine is more spiritual than hers because I wanted God and she didn't. Well, community is biblical. So who's being more biblical here? Right. We became one flesh and we were learning from each other. She's learned how to fall back in love with God through my relationship. I've learned how to fall back onto community through her. And it worked together by giving each other allowance to grieve. So I don't want somebody to listen and be like, oh man, brother Holloway, he never doubted God, never got mad at God. If you are, that's because you're different than me. And you can end up in the same place my wife and I did through, through the word of God kept us. I will say that. Sure. And the people of God, we were surrounded by a great community. And I understand that that may not be the case for everybody. And I hate that for you, but hopefully you can draw strength from this community of two people on a podcast right now and just know that there are people that are rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's remarkable what you shared about you and your wife kind of being the, the counterparts to each other, the balancing that each, yeah. each of you needed. I think that's remarkable, but I know you mentioned early on that you were doing counseling locally. You were doing counseling yeah. with another couple via phone and zoom. Um, how long did that take though? How long did it take for you and your wife to see that and to work through it? I'm sure where you're at now, almost six years removed from the event, you're probably in a much stronger place, but how long did that actually take to get from here's the day it happened to where, okay, we recognize that we grieve differently. We're going to work on this together and, and we're going to get through this. Like how, how long did that take in actuality? Once we found out about it, um, that we are grieving in two different ways and it's okay from our counselor, they became our eyes for us. And I would say that was probably third counseling session because we brought it up to her. And so about four weeks after we recognized it in this counseling, once we knew that, man, this is normal, this is okay. We were relieved. So yeah. it was, the time frame was purely based upon the revelation of it. And then once, once it was revealed to us that we're grieving in two different ways and that's okay, we just took ownership of that and said, well, okay, that's, there's nothing wrong with us then. There's nothing wrong sure. with my wife. My wife's not going to, I remember my wife though. We were very, I'll never forget what our counselor said. Uh, Sister Larson told us, she said, the thing is, is you're, you're going to really, you're going to grieve differently and that's, that's perfectly fine, but it's it's not going to destroy you. You know, you and you and your wife are going to, to grieve differently, but you need to talk it out. And this is what she said that I'll never forget. She said, grief is uh, like a poison inside of your body. And the only way to get the poison out is through your mouth. Hmm. She said, so you and your wife need to communicate. And so my wife would say, babe, look, I'm grieving. I'm mad. I don't understand. She's like, it's not like we are living in sin. You know, I was on, I was on day three of a three day fast. The morning it happened. 
we were preparing for a big youth event that we host every year. And it wasn't like we're, you know, we were, she was most angry that she's like, you know, I know stories of people that get completely uh, out of their mind on drugs and they're out of their mind for 12 hours. And they're two year olds just wandering around the house by themselves and nothing ever happens to that child. Yeah. Why is it that us, you know, who were good parents, we were godly. Why would this happen? And that was really the foundational level of her anger. But she communicated to me. She said, babe, I'm not walking away from this. She said, I'm an angry bride and I feel like I'm throwing dishes at the groom right now, which the groom would be Christ. But what helped me from a biblical scholarship perspective is I was reading Job and this, she communicating that to me, like scared me at first. Sure. But then I went and studied my Bible and I saw that Job was an angry bride. I know we always quote the first part of Job and like, you know, we stop at Job chapter three. We're like, though he slay me. And we stop there and we quote that to the grievers. Read right. the rest of that book. Yeah. Job brings God to court is the context. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting as the accuser and he's accusing guys like I was righteous. I did this. I, w I took care of widows, orphans and poor. I gave, I was in the marketplace and I was always benevolent. And why would you let this happen to me? He was an angry bride throwing dishes at the groom. And this is what I found though, that Job as an angry bride throwing dishes at the groom was in better relationship than his three friends who just had theology. Sure. A man who was in covenantal relationship, like I'm not going anywhere, but I'm mad right now. Yeah. Was still in better relationship than three men who had an idea of God theologically, but no relationship with him. At the end of it, Job had theology and relationship, which mm -hmm. is a powerful combo. And yeah. so I saw, again, the hope set before me is like, my wife is going to be rock solid through all of this. And the truth is she actually, I lost it recently for Father's Day. She told me, she said, you were my anchor because you never let go of scripture. You were grounding us. And she said, through your study of scripture, I caught the residuals of it. And my wife is rock solid. Yeah. But that communication she gave me, she said, babe, I'm not going anywhere. She said, the last thing I'm going to do is miss the rapture and miss seeing Levi twice. But I'm, I'm angry right now. And I had to just, instead of being a man and trying to fix it immediately, I had to stop time and just be like, we're married forever. We don't have to fix this today. And so I had to just say, okay. Yeah. And likewise, because I switched on a dime. I was in life of the party, love being around people. And like that, I was like, I don't want to be near a soul. Sure. And that was very burdensome for my wife, but she gave me room to grieve. I gave her room to grieve. And today, man, here we are now time. You mentioned time and this came to my mind. Um, our counselor also told us she brought a ball of yarn in one counseling session and she said, here's your emotions. She said, you're going to feel every emotion all at one time, anger, depression, bitterness, frustration. You're going to have glimpses of joy. And she said, you're usually a man's going to feel one of those like one time a week. And she, she looked at me, she goes, there's nothing wrong with you that you're feeling all of these every single minute. Cause man, men are just hardwired different than ladies. Ladies are feeling all those emotions. Men, like you cut me off in traffic. I'm mad, but then I, you know, I'm going to move on. Right. You know, you, you hurt my family. I'm ready to go to war. 
Right. We feel emotions on a very linear state. And I thought I was crazy because I could just cry at the drop of a hat just sitting in Starbucks. Yeah. And that was, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but she, she started pulling the yarn loose and she said in a year, these emotions are going to start separating. Sorry. Alexa is giving me a reminder right now, no, you're good. but as time went on, she said, it's going to be five years. She said, I, this is pretty much across the board. You're going to find out at year five, that yarn is going to be completely loosened to where you feel normal again. And man, True words have never been said. Year five, something happened. Now that may depress some because you're, you may be thinking, so I'm going to feel like this for the next five years. I want to encourage you. If you do, that's not a bad thing. That just shows you the depth of love that you were capable of, yeah. that you don't get over it in a year, two years. And I'm not over it. Yeah. I'm not over it. Five years later, you don't just reset your brain. You're like, okay, well, that's it. We lost a child. Yeah. No, year five, my mind is set on heaven more than it's ever been. And I yeah. can truly, truly say that. Yeah. That's the bedrock of ministry for me. So the time, you know, it's going to be a while. And that's beautiful because that means you loved that deep. Sure. That's yeah. the proof. Grief is actually a comfort. Yeah, I think that's a revelation um, in and of itself, just realizing that the, the pain is a reflection of the love that was present and, and kind of falling back on that, that, yeah. you know, I, I was given this gift from God and I did appreciate it and I did love it with everything I could. And yeah, it's, it's going to take time. And <clears throat> like you said, you know, five years does seem like a long time, but in the grand scheme of things, like you have more life ahead of you than you do behind you. And yeah. I, I think I, I think, enduring those five years, pressing forward, there's there's greater ahead of you. I, I, I and I would imagine that just it's just like you and your wife feel like you've coined it in different ways, but it just seems like the worst thing that you could do is stop trying, and yeah. you fight, you try in different ways. Uh, I, I think you would echo this, but getting counseling is a must. Um, cause I don't know, I don't know how else you do that. Um, like your wife falling on community. I mean, community is a big thing. You talked about yeah. isolation with God. In, you know, I, I think it's interesting. You talk about, you know, you're in the car ride. God, why didn't you just take me? Um, reminded me of a bit of Elijah, Elijah, gets along with God and he's like, God, you can just go and take me now. Like I, I have no more purpose. Um, yeah. but it, it's, it's in community that, you know, our mind gets some clarity. Um, man, I think that's, so let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um, your kid was two years old, almost three. And at the time, I feel like we had a kid almost that age, getting close to that. Um, I know you said you're, you'll probably never completely get over this. Like this is probably a lifelong process, a five-year yeah, point, sure. you know, that you have a, a bit of a turning point, but still it's like you forget your son. Um, what, what was, I, let me, let me ask like, what's the hardest part about that? 
I would, I would imagine for me, it's just all the thoughts of what could have been because, yeah. um, so your, your oldest, uh, is your oldest a boy too? No. So, okay. uh, my, Levi would be the oldest. He would be eight coming okay. on eight in December. Okay. Eleanor, our daughter, second born, she is six. So okay. she's, she's the next oldest. I so see. we have, okay. we have two, four, six and eight. Okay. Got it. Yep. That's, <laughs> our kids. Uh, yeah. We, we almost did the same thing, but our last baby was, uh, over 11 pounds. So my wife said, I need a break. <laughs> we're at six, yeah, four yeah. and two. Um, uh, so we, we're taking a little bit of a break, but anyway, um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, just, I'd, I'd imagine that, you know, it's, there's something magical about like the two-year-old age because you start to see so much yeah. of the personality start to come out. Like you said, he's like it's this wily fellow. It's, it's a fun age. Like it's, it's, it's tense because, you know, they go through that terrible two-face, but they start to kind of come out a little bit and you start to see what their proclivities are and what they're drawn to and what they like. And, right. uh, you know, your wheels start spinning now. I mean, I, I remember thinking about my kids at that age and my youngest is still there. And it's just like, man, they're going to be fun as they continue to grow up. And you see that manifest itself. Um, I don't, I don't know if, if that's still something that kind of lingers in your mind, but, oh, yeah. um, is that, is it recommended to you from those that you've done counseling with to, to think about those things or to try and not think about those things? I think this is going to be a case by case. Um, I do. I'll think about it at times. Um, what, what your human brain does is it's fascinating. I don't know if women deal with this as much they do in the initial stages, but my, my brain always goes back to the day of the fire. And I'm extremely logic based. I'm very much a, you know, a builder constructor type of brain. So I'm always thinking of the logic and I go back to that day of the fire and I'm just looking at the logical things I should have done. And so my brain always goes back and tries to fix. Yeah. And I have, this plays into your question. I am for me at least. I had to stop myself logically and be like, there's nothing back there. I can't turn back time. I can't go back and do it. So me going back to this every day is causing me more frustration. Mm -hmm. And so I imagined, this is what I had to imagine. I imagined every time my brain started going back, I would take a lasso and I would put it around that thought and I would pull it back and I would put it on, on uh, a leash and I would tell myself, you are not going back there. Yeah. And I would, for me, scripture though, I would take every thought captive and I would cast it down and be like that. I, I can't go back there. There's nothing back there. So in regard to thinking about Levi, there's nothing wrong with thinking about him, but here's what I do instead, rather than thinking of what could have been by the power of the gospel, I know what will be. Yeah. And now it's the greatest anticipation when I, what, what he'll be in heaven. Sure. That's what I'm, I think more about that than what could have been. Uh, so that's where I allow my brain to go to the eternal Yeah, is me and my kids will talk about it. And my daughter, she, she is fascinated by heaven because we have, we really, we study heaven a lot in our house and my daughter, she'll teach you the best Bible study on heaven. You know, she's, she's like, daddy, do you think, do you think Levi's riding dinosaurs right now? And I said, we don't have any Bible telling us he's not. So yeah, <laughs> the Bible tells us that Leviathan was basically God's big pet. I said, who knows? 
I said, one thing we do know is it's going to be amazing. So I think about what will be. And I know I'm not going to be disappointed. My thoughts that I have may not be accurate because we don't have a whole lot to go off of. But I do know, and this is my prayer. I say, God, you didn't give us a whole lot to go on as far as the details of heaven. You were more concerned of us getting there. And I asked God one day, I said, why is that? And I'll never forget what God spoke to me. He said, I have the right to surprise my kids. Mm-hmm. He said, and I can't wait to see your face. Yeah. And so for me, my thoughts may be wrong as to what heaven will look like and be like with Levi. But I know I'm not going to be disappointed. Right. I know it's going to be good. Yeah. And so I, I say this a lot of times to people, and I just feel to say this now, is a lot of people, you know, more of your agnostic and atheists will be like, you don't even know if there is a heaven. And I, I look at people and I say, well, I believe there is, and I have biblical evidence that there is, but let's just say there's not. Let's go with that for a minute. And let's just go down that road. And let's say I'm doing all of this for nothing. I'm thinking about heaven. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm, I'm doing all of this work of, of sanctification because of God's free gift of justification. Let's say I'm doing all of that. And it turns out I just die, cease to exist. I was wrong. We lost Levi forever. I did, and I go back to the dust, so on and so forth. I said, let's say I'm wrong. If I am, all I got out of the deal was peace. I got a marriage instead of 92% ending in divorce. Mm -hmm. I got joy again. I have hope. I have expectation. I'm not on drugs. I'm not drunk every night i'm not i haven't given myself over to anything my wife and i don't fight every day we we have a a very full life filled with with love and laughter but let's say i am right and let's say all of this is for a reason i get all of the aforementioned things plus joy unspeakable and i get levi back yeah it's not a gamble yeah if I did all this and it meant nothing, I just got a marriage out of it. That's all. <laughs> yeah. I just became a better daddy to my three kids instead of sitting in the corner grieving forever. Instead of giving myself over. And I talk a lot of, uh, I've counseled a lot of people that are addicted to drugs and we always find what is the root cause of you going to drugs. And it's always some calamity, hmm. almost always some calamity in their life. That's not the reality for my wife and I. So we wasted our time on joy. Yeah. We wasted our time on hope. We wasted our time on a beautiful marriage. That's, that's the thing. But if I'm right, I win twice. Right. Yeah. I win here and there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's not a gamble. Give it to me anytime. Yeah, absolutely. That's a wonderful perspective to have. Um, that's great. I, I think it's remarkable that you've gone through something so tragic. Um, and out of the other side of that, you're in the place you're at right now. Uh, that's that's inspirational. And I, I, that in and of itself is hopeful, too. And I imagine that if it's hopeful for me, that it's hopeful for those who have experienced the same as you have experienced. Um, now, I know you said Levi was your oldest and yeah. you when you talked about the day you're running to the crib to get um, the next in line. So you didn't really have to explain to any of your kids why their sibling all of a sudden is gone. Um, it's not like you had a, 
eight-year-old and a six-year-old and you lost a four-year-old. Um, right. But I, 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 I think it was interesting at the beginning when I asked you about your family, you said we have four kids, three with us. Uh, so clearly you still talk about your family oh, yeah. as four kids. Um, how have you gone about explaining that to your other kids? This just came up. So our daughter is six years old and we, we don't forget about Levi. We haven't built a shrine to him either. We want to be balanced. Sure. But what we do every year for Levi's birthday is it's that date still is a celebration for us. We can't just ignore it cause he's not here. Right. So what we would do is every year for his birthday, we take our kids somewhere and we do something fun for them. We'll, we'll do something. Well, that day is a celebration still today. And they love Levi's birthday because they get, I'm sure they, they get a, they get a fun day out of it. They're like, Levi's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, so our daughter is now old enough to where she said, you know, mom, dad, where is Levi? What happened to Levi mm. up until that point? It was just, everybody has a life like this. Everybody has a Levi in heaven. Sure. And she's starting to realize that that's not true. And so she asked and we didn't know what to do. Uh, my wife, contacted sister Larson and just was like, you know, what do we do? And sister Larson said, you can't hide it. You yeah. don't want to lie to her. She's asking, let her know. Obviously you don't have to go into the details and all that. And so this was a, a terrifying thing for us, but we sat our daughter down and we were just like, look, baby, you know, Levi passed away and he's with, he's with Jesus. Now we don't want to lie to her. We don't want to hide it from her. And we just told her that when you're a little older, We'll, we'll tell you more, but right now you just need to know that you had a brother and he passed away. So our, you know, we were worried. We have all the same fears that every parent has. Are we going to break our child? Yeah. And the couples told us, they said, your child will not break. The, the humans are so capable of deep empathy. And they said, your daughter's just going to be a deeper empathetic person. She's going to understand that she'll be moved to tears when somebody else brings up loss because she somehow understands it. And the same with our boys, but they're just, they're so worried about toys and playing right. and playing in the dirt right now. Yep. You know, Ezra, our, our middle child hasn't even brought it up. Um, but our daughter is, yeah, she's very inquisitive and that was our approach. We talked to her and she, she cried, but then she went on and she knows now, she also knows that mommy and daddy don't hide things from her. We're very big on, there's no secrets in our house. You know, yep. we just, we talk it out. So we haven't dealt with it in depth because you're right. It's not like our daughter was eight years old, very coherent. She was, she just turned one actually in the next month. Hmm. Uh, her, her birthday's November 17th. Okay. This happened at the end of October. So just a little over two weeks, we celebrated her birthday. Yeah. So she doesn't remember any of it. Um, but she's asking questions now and you know, the jury's out and, you know, we'll find out when she's 17 sure. and we'll talk yeah. about it. But as of right now, she just, she understands that life is biblically, you know, the Bible never hit any of this from us. Life is but a vapor. Yeah. It's here one minute and gone the next. And she understands that. Yeah. So you're not breaking your child. You're making them wiser. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. If anything, um, I'm a, I'm a word of the day kind of guy. And this one came up a while back, but it was very fitting about our son or just perspicacious. Just, it's almost as if they have this intuitive 
knowledge into situations is very often associated with emotional circumstances. Um, we have a friend, she was 20 weeks pregnant with her third child. They'd already picked out a name, already started mm. buying clothes. Everything was, you know, already in the works. And at that point, uh, it's very unlikely that you have a miscarriage. Well, she did. Uh, and I remember my, we went over, we drove over there to drop some food off for, for them. And my son wanted to get out and he wanted, he's like, I want to go talk to her. I was like, buddy, this, this is not the time. Like, no, I was, I was like, I'll explain more to you later, but not right now. So I fought him against, I fought him on it. And a few weeks later, she came over to our house to sit with my wife because she had just had a foot surgery. So, um, she was kind of coming back to return the favor. And we just got back to the house before she was getting ready to leave. And he walked up to her and he said, he said, there's something I would really like to tell you. And she's like, okay, what is it? And, she, and he said, I know you had a baby in your tummy and I know you don't anymore. And I know that makes you really sad. I just want you to know that I'm sorry that happened to you. And, wow. you know, she's busting out into tears and she was like, why can't adults just say something like that? Like, that's, that's yeah. just all I needed. Um, yeah. but I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know that I can take credit for that. It's just something about him. That's the way that he is. I, I imagine even to a greater degree, your, your daughter will be that way. Just have the exposure and the understanding uh, of what happened to her older brother. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's going to break. I think all it will do is benefit. Yeah. Um, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um, you've shared so much good uh, about your journey, grieving what others can do. Um, so many wise steps that you, that you took, not turning your back on God, being open to what God had to say to you, uh, getting counseling for someone who goes through this same experience. Um, if you can summarize, what's, what's the initial advice that you would provide to another dad who loses a child? I would tell you that God has big shoulders. He can take your questions. He grieving is not a sin. A grieving is just a room inside of our temple and you're allowed to go visit that room. You're just not allowed to live in it. Mm. Go visit the room every time you need to, but then come back out of that room. And what my wife and I did, and this was, I think it came to me because of something she said, I never forget. She looked at me and she said, you know, I still have a child. I, I have to take care of her. She's still breastfeeding. You know, I've got to put diapers on, on this baby. And it hit me. We have to live for what's left. Yeah. And that was for someone who is grieving, going through it as a dad. Here's what I will say to you. Cause some of the most hurtful things that were said to me as a man was, you know, I know you're grieving, but you got to be strong for your wife. Your wife is grieving on a whole other level because she carried the baby. You just don't understand that. And I was very ticked off by those statements. Cause I'm like, you're telling me that that's my seed though. I didn't yeah. carry him. But I provided him. Right. So what you're going through is no less than what your wife is going through. It's different. And I know that you're grieving in a way and you don't have to, you don't have to be strong. 
you know, that's, that's God's job. Yeah. We are children and we, we love to accept you become like children until we have to go crawl up in the lap of the father. For some reason we graduate, even though it's clearly right there in the gospels, except right. you become like little children. We'll take all of that. Take all of that that comes with it and go crawl up in the lap of the father. Yeah. And that's what I did. So here, here's my process. And again, I don't ever want to be arrogant and assume that what we did is the absolute right way. I will say here we are six years later by the leading of the spirit. But what I did was I really, I was attracted to the book of Psalms and Psalms used to get on my nerves until I went through all of this and something hit me like a revelation. One day I was reading um book of Samuel and I'm looking at David and I'm like, man, this dude is rock solid, man. He's got spears being thrown at him. He is entitled to the throne and it's not being given to him. And yet he's rock solid and then he could kill Saul in a moment. And David doesn't like this dude is a beast. Mm -hmm. This is a man. And then I go read Psalms. And I'm like, is this the same David? Yeah. <laughs> this dude is a crybaby. Yep. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that Psalms is the prayer meeting of David. Yeah. But when he left the prayer room, he washed his face and we get the Samuel version of David. And it's not fake. You're going to feel like I'm not being true to myself. I'm, I'm coming out of the prayer room. I went into the prayer room and I fell apart. I have books of Psalms now. There is in heaven a whole whole category or whole library rather of AJ Holloway's Psalms. My God, my God, my bones racked me in the night. My God, why have you forsaken me? These, yeah. these prayers. But then when I came out, I said, all right, I've given it to God. I've got to come out here. And it was good for my wife to see me cry as well. Sure. I wasn't, I wasn't like failing as a father and a husband because I was grieving. So this, this whole perspective we have of men there's a whole war against men right now that i despise you know it's like the whole toxic masculinity movement all that stuff is deeply grates me um there men men and women are amazing mm -hmm. in their own separate ways being a man there's nothing wrong with a man crying if you're a minister and you preach about hell and you don't cry i have deep concerns for you if you're not shouting when you're preaching about heaven, I'm wondering if you've read the Bible and you really understand what you're preaching about. Allow those emotions as a man to, to come out. There's something powerful about that man who knows these things and is in tune with all of that, but is still a man and says, okay, I've taken it to God, the one who's stronger. I've crawled up in the lap of the father and I have fallen apart and wept, but now I'm going to come out. I'm going to let my wife know that I have, but I still have to defend this house. There's something powerful about that man. I've got to get my family to heaven. I'll never get my wife looking at me. And she was like, babe, get us out of here. Get us to heaven. And as a man, I took that as like same way I felt when I was five years old. And my dad came into my room because he had to go on a business trip. And my dad looked at me and he was like, you're the man while I'm gone. I sat up till two in the morning with a BB gun looking out, <laughs> looking out the window. Cause I'm like, I have to defend my mom and my sister. And like, I'm, I'm the man dad has trusted me with being a man. Yep. And the father wanted me to be a child in prayer, but then he sends me back out and he says, now go be the man made in my image and show her Christ mm -hmm. Christ hanging on the cross 
looks at John and says, go take care of my mom. Yeah. That's, that's what men do. And it's not better than women. Women have a whole host of responsibility that we could never do, but there's something powerful about the man. So if you're a man and you're listening to this, you're a dad, you're grieving, you're going through that, go in the prayer room and write your Psalms. I mean, crawl up in the lap of the father, then come out and let people know God's going to take care of us. Yeah. We're going to defend this house. We're going to defend this family. We're going to live for what's left. That's the process that we've taken. And that's the process I still, I still take. And we are, we're better today because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, I don't imagine that you could ever go wrong going to God. No. In whatever situation you face. And, And I'm glad you brought up the Psalms. Um, I talk about it periodically. It's on my list to talk about again. Way back when, when I started this, I did an episode on um, on how to pray, teaching your kids to pray. And if you're going to do that, you need to model it for them. You need to pray right. with them. They need to see you pray. They need to hear you pray. And you need to listen to them when they pray. Um, but at some point in that episode, I, I explained to people, Prayer is not one of those things where you have to be in the right place, where you have to be happy all the time when you pray and you don't have to say the right words. Because like you mentioned, you can go through and you can read the book of Psalms and you can see that David and the other psalmists, they weren't always too happy with God in their current circumstances. And they let God right. know that. And those those uh, griping sessions, those grieving sessions, those complaints, God welcomes those. That, that's yeah. still categorized as prayer because that is conversation with God. Uh, and and I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Um, Jesus sometimes, quotes two Psalms on the cross. Right, exactly. exactly. One of them being, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, and that's. I think that's a good thing for us to get through our head. Um, so often we view God as this as this big tyrant who has all power and who will strike us down if we in any yeah. way conflict him or come against him or accuse him. And that's not what God is. There's a reason God's identified as father because that's how he views us. He views us as children and he wants the best for us. You can read through Luke 11 and you can see leading up to verse 13 that everyone likes to quote, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more, but leading up to that, it's, Jesus is saying, if your son asks you for a fish, are you going to give him a scorpion? And that's that's the thing God does with us. God hears us and God listens, and yeah. God is working to figure out, how do I give my child what they need, what they want? Yeah. How, 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 do, how do I serve them? Because that's what dads do, and that's what God does for us in an incredible way. AJ, you've shared some, some incredible points Um things that I feel like even I could take away and I haven't gone through what you've gone through. Um, I think everyone listening to this is going to be richly blessed by your story, by what you've shared, how you're navigating this journey because you're not done. You're, you're still on the path. Um, But where you started and where you're at now, I think that's something that we can celebrate and that we can rejoice in. But let me ask you this because I, I like to ask everybody this outside of our topic of discussion today, you still have three kids with you and you've got sons, you've got a daughter, you've, you've got the whole dynamic there. What is just in general, the best piece of advice that you would give to dads today? 
I just heard this. Uh, I was talking with um, Pastor Shine Dowdy in uh, Mattoon, Illinois, and he told me, he said, one of the things that we do is we kind of like, we lock into a pattern, even though times and seasons change. And we're still trying to live a former pattern, even though we're in a different season. He said, you need to, in, rather than the pattern becoming your like theme for life, mm-hmm. you need to discern seasons and know how to change the pattern based on the season. Uh, and that was very relevant to us because our week looks different every week. Sure. So the greatest advice I would tell someone is, you know, I'm obviously not talking about consistent prayer, Bible time, praying with right. your kids. I'm not talking about that, but I'm discern where your family is, discern what your family needs and be the priest of your house and be like, look, this is what I feel we need to do. We, we need to go to target today. Look at your wife who's wore out. We need to go. We need to go to target. I know we need to go paint the shutters, yep. but we're going to go to target today and we're going to go get our kids a cake pop from Starbucks. And me and you are just going to walk around yeah. target and we're going to drink lattes yeah. And we're going to buy our kids a Paw Patrol toy Yep. and we're going to come home and we're going to pop some popcorn and we're going to play board games. Yep. That's I'm making a, a call today, even though all this needs to get done, be okay with calling the audible Yeah. because you're discerning what your family, your wife and your kids uh, need. And I'm saying that cause that's sometimes what, what yeah. I need. My wife would be like, babe, I just want to stay home. Let's not go to target at all. Yeah. And I'm like, that's what I need. Yeah. But yeah, you know, like right now, the reason why I say that, if I, you ask this question, it's very relevant for me right now is I know we opened up with how busy I am, but let's not forget that Samuel was a powerful prophet. He was very busy, but his sons turned out no better than Eli's. Mm-hmm. And that's been shaking me to my core. And I'm in the process now of slowing down my schedule Yeah, because I'm, I'm watching and I'm listening, I'm paying attention and I'm like, this worked for the past. I've been, I've been traveling Jan- February will be six years. I've been traveling full time, but I haven't always had a child this age. Yeah. My daughter's now my son recently, I walked out to go get the mail and he melted down at the door cause he thought I was leaving for another trip. Yeah. You know, my kids have crawled in my suitcase and tried to zip themselves into the suitcase cause they want to go with me. I can't be like, well, it's been working for this long. Well, your kids forgot within 10 minutes of you getting on that plane because all they were thinking about was going to the park with their mom. They're getting older. So I have to, I have to start praying and seeking God like, okay, God, are you changing us? Not my will, but thy will be done. I know I love traveling. I know that this feels successful being an evangelist that's being used all over, but what is success? Mm -hmm. And I need to be, So if I had to summarize this really quickly, you need to get a biblical definition of success, not a world definition of it. Mm -hmm. Because the world will tell you going to the cross isn't successful, Jesus. You need to go get a throne and rule. That's what you need to do. And Jesus is like, what I'm going to do is not going to look successful to you. But it's going to be the most successful thing the world has ever seen. Dying on a cross is not successful. So getting the eternal perspective of what is successful. I want to be like Samuel, but I also want to be like Christ. Yeah. He had, he had 12 kids. 
And even one of them who walked away, he washed his feet before he did. And Jesus never had a child, but he had 12 disciples that he called children. He nailed it because they, they were all minus one living for God and preaching this gospel after he was gone. And that was after only three years. Mm-hmm. What on earth am I capable of? If, if greater works shall you do than these? Like, let's, let's step past miracles for a minute. If greater works shall I do than these? I look at that and I say, Jesus, you raised 11 out of 12 successful children who lived for you. If you did that in three years and you're giving me the next 15, 20 with my kids before they become adults and move out, then man, I can, I can have something greater than John. Sure. Because you've given me more time. So my, my eternal perspective is shifting and we're in the process of working all those things out right now of how daddy can be home more because what is successful is what's always on my mind in preaching camps and conferences. It's a good opportunity, but is that success? Yeah. You know, we have to constantly be weighing the seasons out. Where are we at right now? Reevaluate. Uh, I'll give a good practical. I know we're taking a lot of time on this and I'm, no, you're I apologize. Good. You're good. One thing, um, my wife and I started doing this year major companies that are successful. They have retreats every year where they sit down and they evaluate the year prior and they look at what was good, what needs working. And then they look forward and vision cast for the year coming and employ the things that could be better from the year prior into the new year. And my wife and I are like, well, if businesses do that, why don't marriages? So we went on a retreat this year. Um, she and I, we went on a, like a four day trip together and we had fun. We went out, had dinner, all those things. But we also sat down and we talked about like, what do we need to work on? What's working right now? And what's, what's not. And we treated it like a business would, would treat, you know, success. Mm -hmm. And one thing we looked at was like, we're very spiritual in our own little categories, but we haven't included our children into that spirituality. And so we wrote up a, a, a theme for the Holloway home. We are spiritual people. We are obsessed with heaven and we are given access to it through the gospel. And we quote that to our kids every night we come into the living room and we pray together as a family. That all is something from this retreat. We have to put that vision out in front of our kids. We are loving people. We are passionate about the fruit of his spirit. We want to be like Christ. Daddy's job is showing mommy Christ. And showing you the father. That's my job. Mommy's job is showing you the church, mm-hmm. how the church gives of herself, how she serves you, how she corrects when needed. You know, that's the, we're, we're setting that up and we're keeping that vision out in front of her. But I would say to anyone, define what is biblically successful and do that in spite of the external pressure. And then treat, treat your marriage like a successful, thriving entity. And go, maybe you don't have the finances to go out on a retreat, go to Target, <laughs> sit in Starbucks, yep. drink a latte with your wife, yep. and then buy her something from the Chip and Joanna Gaines aisle you know, afterwards <laughs> and talk to her and just be like, this is what I, I feel we didn't really do well last year. Here's some of the things we, I feel like we nailed. Let's go into this next year with this vision. Yep. And that is, uh, I, I got that from Pastor Donovan Hill. He wrote a book and 
it's in that book. And he, he told me that, and I really latched onto it. And I said, I love that idea. And we were already planning to go on vacation together at that point. And I said, well, that's, that's what we're going to turn this vacation into. So I would, I would say to any marriage, go lead your family as husbands and be spiritual and define what a success, you know, you can make a lot of money in a year as a driven individual. Is that successful, you know, or is making decent money Mm -hmm. and being home more successful? Yeah. It's preaching every conference. I've gotten to a point now where people call me and they're like, Hey, can you preach this conference? And I'm like, no, I can't, but I know somebody who's really good that can. Yeah. You know, and I've had, I've had people tell me like, bro, are you insane? I'm like, I have a different definition of success. Yep. You know, and it messes with my head right now. Right now we're in the process of slowing down. I, um, I'll be traveling every weekend still for, I feel to do that. I feel like that's what I'm called to do, but I'm slowing down the week by week, um, being gone weeks on end because I don't feel that it's wise anymore in this new season. And so we've accepted a, um, position at a church to be the discipleship, um, pastors. I'll be writing doctrine curriculum. I'm not going to stop traveling at all. I still feel very strongly to do that, but I'll only be doing that on like Friday through Sunday throughout Mm -hmm. the week. I'll be local. Yeah. And my wife and I had a discussion. We're like, all right, the kids are getting older. Is this something we still need to be doing? And prayed about it. And lo and behold, while we're praying about it, the pastor came and presented this to us. And God started started ordering our steps. So we were feeling the nudge in the direction mm-hmm. and God, God did it. So I'm already having to work through my head just so you don't think that I'm some awesome, you know, Christ follower that never has doubts. I've had to go through my head and be like, am I going to be okay when I lose my American flight status? Am I, yeah. <laughs> am I going to be okay when I, now thankfully I'm not on social media, so I don't see this, but am I going to be okay when I hear about, that other evangelist preaching that conference when I could have been preaching it. I have to work through all that and I have to anchor myself and be like, it's, I'm not the only minister in the movement. Right. The, the body works really well and this is what I need to do right now. Right. And heaven will tell the tale. So yeah, exactly. all that being said, yeah. define success and spend time with your family and reevaluate season by season would be my advice. Well, it is a heartbreaking story, but I think you probably feel the way that I feel. It's motivational and it's inspirational that a father can lose a child and still see value in life, can have the perspective that AJ has, can see that God can still take the brokenness and make something beautiful out of that. I think that that is worth all of us taking away but I also think it's worth sharing. And that's what I want you to do with today's episode. AJ does not have social media. His friends will only know that this played if he sends it directly to them or if they happen to see it on social media. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to share this on whatever social platform you're on. If you know someone who's lost a child, I want you to send them this episode. If you know someone that knows someone who's lost a child, I want you to send them this episode because what AJ shared about dealing with people who are grieving, that's information that we all need to be aware of. So 
Do me this favor and share today's episode and allow AJ's story and perspective and his faith to bless somebody else. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you will join me next time. Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.